0: Good evening everyone. Yes, I am Michael Anthony Ingram, and tonight my very special guest is William Washington. He's multi-talented. He's a poet and an author, a native of Spanish Harlem in New York City. He's an established storyteller, author, motivational speaker, and activist. His performances have taken him throughout the United States. His goal in life is to heal the broken-hearted with his words. His books include The Negro Chronicles 2012 and Broken Book, Love Given, Love Taken, Love Lost in 2022. You can purchase both books on Amazon. William Washington, welcome to the program.
2: Uh, Hello, my brother. How are you? Thank you. I'm quite
0: well. All right. I'm really glad that you're with me. Are you ready to begin this poetic journey? Yes, sir. All right,
2: then. Let's start
0: what is poetry?
2: Well, for me, poetry it was always a healing um, aspect of my life. Uh, you know, I grew up without a father, a single mother. She raised seven children, you know, the best she could, which wasn't great, you know, for us growing up. And um, I always knew from my early life, you know, I suffered from epilepsy uh, throughout my childhood. So I knew I had to find something that to find solace, to, to find that peace, and my gift of writing, literature, penmanship, was that thing. So I've always written from my early lifetime, and it evolved into poetry. And um, I found out that poetry was my niche. It was my healing. It was my survival, and it's been that way till today. So that's poetry a- for me.
0: Wow. What about it made it your survival, your niche? Tell us more. Flesh that out for us.
2: Because if if I didn't have poetry, if I didn't have my writings, the things I could do in a, in a dark room with a flashlight under a blanket, mm. um, those demons would have overtaken me. My mother's demons, you know, her severe alcoholism and mm. drunkenness and the people who were in our house that shouldn't have been there, you know, um, and the things that were going on in the house. So when I can go in my room and turn the lights out and, and um, hide under the blankets, that was my shelter. Mm. Or in the closet, that was my shelter. And, and, and I found peace in that dark place by writing. Yes. And I've always had the gift of the Word. You know. Uh, I come from a family of preachers and deacons and you know, Old South uh, gospel worshipers and speakers. Mm. So mm. That, that was my poetry. It didn't All always right. rhyme,
0: mm-hmm.
2: but it, it healed
0: Hey, I do understand. More than you know, I do understand. Now, we've talked about it now from a micro perspective in terms of your beliefs around poetry. What I'd like to know from a macro perspective, is it important? Is poetry important? I'd like you to share that with me. What do you think?
2: I, f- I feel it's very important because whether me. you call it poetry or his- historical statements, in a- you know, we have to leave our mark, our mark in this world. As a yes. people, as a people of color. And there's many ways we can do it. We can do it through our deeds, or we can do it like our early ancestors, through their writings and carvings, whether it been on a, a wall or a tree, you know, or, or the side of a barn or, or the place where we were held captive. Those signatures, those, those markings that are being found today in Asia, in Egypt, in Africa, That were left by us. That that was our writing in terms of that macro, that that universal sense and acknowledgement of what we left behind, our legacy. So, yeah. Our legacy.
0: All right. I like that. I'd like you to share with me a specific experience when you first learned that poetic language had power, if you can.
2: Well, I I think it was in fourth grade. Mm-hmm. You know I had a a girl that always sat next to me. you know everybody had their seats their assigned seats in their desks yes. and i didn't know how to talk to a girl i didn't grow up with anybody that could teach me how to how to court a you know court a girl and and rap to a girl or say nice things so one day, I just wrote what I considered was a poem a love poem mm-hmm. and um and she read it. You know, I was so shy, I was scared to give it to her. But I gave it to her, and she read it. And the biggest smile came over her face. And now you have to remember, I'm 10 years old at the time. Okay. And she kissed me on my cheek. I had never really been kissed by my mother. Mm-hmm. So when this girl kissed me on my cheek, it just, my whole world turned upside down. I didn't know how to respond. Mm-hmm. I think I might have cried. All I right. think I might have ran away from her. I, I believe I did in embarrassment. And I just had to cry somewhere, you know. I, I didn't know how I felt to be kissed. Mm-hmm. And um, she teased me to this day when she sees me. She'd be like, your big baby, you big crybaby. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. yeah
0: that's that a perfect personal. story. That's a perfect yeah. story. What do you write about, William? What are some of the predominant themes in your work?
2: Well, I tell the readers all the time and my listeners, they know. They know I'm bipolar. I've never mm-hmm. been diagnosed as bipolar, but I am bipolar. I started out with love writings and, and love poems. I progressed in my teenage late teenage teenage years to my early twenties to a progressive revolutionary style of writing poetry uh, A lot of those poems were f america poems i I try to keep the language clean, but a lot of those writings and street corners, because I was a street preacher, I'd stand outside and just talk give sermons, and a lot of them were angry f america and uh poems and poems about the government you know and things like that mm-hmm. and um then as i Got married with children. The years caught up to me. I stopped doing poetry. And then I think in my late 40s, early 50s, I divorced my second wife, and it was a terrible divorce. And I had never had a a broken heart until then because early in life I was the heartbreaker. I was a young guy with Afro, nice hair, nice teeth. I did the breaking heart. So when my heart finally got broken at such a late age, I, I went off the deep end. You know, and I I suffered through a 72-hour hold at Metropolitan Hospital. But that experience, it created who I am today. And it Mm -hmm. created my writing style. So now I write about broken hearts. I write about the revolutionary things. I write about Nina Simone, uh, you know, Mm. Gil Scott Heron, James Baldwin. And I finally learned how to really reacquire that sense of love. Mm. Because, you know, I was jaded for so many years. I was like i understand. distrustful of women. I didn't trust them. I didn't want mm-hmm. to write pretty things about flowers and pretty girls. I didn't want to write about that stuff. Right. You know, but uh, late in life, I think that broken heart was the best thing that happened. That divorce was the best thing that ever happened to me. And going through that psychiatric period, that darkness, mm-hmm. was the best thing that ever happened to me because it opened me up to what other people were feeling. I, so many years, I didn't care what other people felt.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: But when it happened to me, you know what they say? When it happens to you. Yes. And it just changed me. It changed me. I became more of a healer in my writing, in my, in my speeches, because I do motivational speaking too, When that, whenever mm-hmm. called on. It. it just changed me, man. It, it just, yeah. Yeah, I don't want to get too mushy. Right.
0: That's all right. That's all right. You know, all great writers have great writing influences. Who are some of yours, and what makes them great in your eyes?
2: Wow. Um, well, she was a singer, but, you know, Nina Simone, uh, I would honestly say that was the first woman I ever fell in love with, you know, from afar, you know, through her writings and her songs and her activism and her blackness. I loved her blackness, you know. I, I loved that she was so beautiful and so black, you know, because uh, I came up in a time where I'm, I'm 64 years old, so I came up a time when... If, if black wasn't beautiful, it was the most ugly thing in the world. People either loved your blackness or they ridiculed you for being black-skinned. And when Nina Simone came into my life, it just changed me as a man. You know, it made me love my dark-skinned sisters because I was always going for the Spanish girl or the white girl, you know, because I'm dark, so I would always go for my polar opposite. But when Nina Simone came into my life, when I heard the same things, you know, um, you know, birds flying high, you know how I feel. Sun in the sky, you know how I feel. When those words hit me, and just seeing her do it, oh, yeah. Yeah, that was <laughs> that was my first spirit, my first love, you know. All right. The first one I wrote. She was my inspiration. Then it was okay. James Baldwin. Then it was Richard Wright. Then it was uh, Gil Scott Heron, you know, the, the people we know about the contemporaries, you know. Um, yeah, yeah.
0: All right. So those are primarily the artists people yes. that inspired you. Yes. You know, speaking yes. of Nina Simone, I'm planning a program for this upcoming fall, hopefully, where it's a poetic tribute to Nina Simone, and hopefully you can be involved in some way.
2: You better. You better, you better let me know. I'm, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm there for you. I, go. <laughs> I got another brother out there, too, who'd like
0: to, to work with some of the sisters that I'm working with. So it would add a male perspective, and I think that's nice. That would be really, really nice. Oh, All
2: right. I'm your guy. Right. I'm your guy. Right. I'm definitely your guy for
1: that. Yeah, yeah man.
0: <laughs> Back to the focus. William, yeah. please share a poll.
2: Uh, everything I share tonight will be from the book, the broken book, Love Given, Love Taking, Love Lost. This piece is titled, Letter to Me. Dear self, man, what the hell is wrong with you? You say you're sad. You say you're blue. Dude, ain't nobody feeling sorry for you. People feel sorry for the man who cannot see. People feel sorry for the man who has no legs. The woman who wants a baby but cannot conceive. The sinner who refuses to believe. People feel sorry for the she with pink ribbons who's been told by her doctor that she's reached the stage of no more. Stage four. The homeless man who possesses not by not the keys to his apartment's door. People feel sorry for the infant dying of AIDS, only four months old. For the loved one who lay in a coffin so very, very cold. Now you're over here moping about and complaining of being lonely. You so sad, you so blue. Dude, put back on that mass of strength you wore for the first 63 years of your life. For not too many love you then, and even less love you now. You need a hobby. Try reciting poetry, or maybe even write a book, The Nigga Chronicles. Hmm. Allow me the honor of telling you why you're so lonely, See, women can smell the scent of loneliness, the rankness of a broken man, the stench of a broken heart. And away from people like you, they run. They run. Yours truly, me.
0: Impo. Thank you. Need mm. yeah. a second to allow it to digest.
2: Yes, thank you. That's actually the dedication in the book.
0: That's okay. the
2: first thing you'll read in the um, in the book.
0: All yeah. right. Wow. So, what inspires you to write broken book, love given, love taken, love lost?
2: Well, actually, it's a byproduct of the first book I wrote, the Nigger Chronicles, the mispronunciation of who I am. Okay. Now that that book was truly it was an autobiography, and it was truly bipolar because I touch on three t- three three topics mainly uh that word name, title slur nigger mm-hmm. I don't tell kids not to say it but I always implore and ask them to learn from whence it came and then and you make the decision you know teenagers can make that decision mm-hmm. uh, it came from it, it centered on um uh, my relationship with my mother and then the ensuing relationships with women the non trust the distrust you know and um and, and finally, it, it, it got back to writing of uh, redemption and, and salvation and the victories that I've experienced in my life, the ups and the downs, the downs and the lows, the lows and the highs, you know. So it became a book that people, when they first saw the cover, thought less of it. Oh, I don't want to touch that. Oh, no. But then when they opened it up, you know, it, it, it became a, basically almost a bestseller. Right. you know, so I did very well with the book, and it was it's written raw, everything is in uppercase letterings. Uh, they told me don't do that, don't you can't write your book like that. Nobody will buy it, nobody will read it. But when I wrote the book, I was writing it for healing. I didn't care who read it, I didn't care if anybody read it. I just needed that healing, and I went back to my childhood and remembered when I write, I heal, I feel better, you know. And uh, so that's what it was, and it did so well that even the people who uh create space uh dot com they now um k d p they could not believe it. the people that worked on my book from my team they could not believe mm-hmm. it when they first started something they called me and said they they apologized up and down the ladder. they said they would have never thought that people would buy that book like it was like they were buying it and um yeah so <laughs> that's that's what it about so this book was a byproduct of because over the years I didn't write a, a follow up book, and everybody was saying, William, you got to write another book, you gotta write this follow you can't leave us like that, but you know so I just did this book as a chat book, but I told you I'm long-winded. So what turned them to a chat book ended up having like 100-something pages. <laughs> <laughs> and, that, and it was the explanation to what I left out in the Nigger Chronicles. It's a more in-depth mm-hmm. uh, a version of my life because I write about 10 characters who I knew throughout my life. I changed their names and um, some of their situations so you know, they give me permission to write about them. But in, the, in this book, you would think I was their uh, psychiatrist because they tell me their stories. And at the end of each one of their stories, they always end up with, William, I'm broken. And um, so that's the theme of this book. And, yeah, yeah, that's why I wrote it, for the healing. All
0: right. So how does a poem begin for you, with an idea, a form, or an image?
2: With me, mostly it's it's music. I've been uh, captured by music, the voice, the sound, whether it be African chants, whether it be an R&B song, a gospel song. Those are the things that always drove me to writing and inspired me. So when I hear these songs, even if I watch the news all day, that might not push me to write a poem. But when I hear certain songs from the '60s, I James Brown, Marvin Gaye singing of inner city blues, Gil Scott Heron, man, oh, it always seems to just puts me in a trance and, and gives me these thoughts, these lines, these words. So music, I would say music, the, the, the music from the motherland, you know, okay. black music, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> and all that that entails. So yeah, yeah.
0: All right, all right. Please share a poem
2: my scars they say our scars remind us of our victories the world can see our physical scars but they can't see our emotional scars the scarring of our mind soul and our heart this they can only see through a relationship with the broken if you read my first offering the nigger chronicles the mispronunciation of who i am you know i was born broken Epilepsy at one year of age. An alcoholic mother who broke my heart every time she drank. Rest in peace, mom. No father, I never knew that nigga. Poverty, an overcrowded home, seven children in all. Growing up in the world of racial inequality, enduring the killing of so many of our black leaders, Martin, Malcolm, Megger, just to name a few. The unjust killings of millions of blacks, blacks like me. The murders of thousands of whites, whites who help blacks like me. The total disrespect shown to our first African-American president of the United States of America, Barack Obama, by the people we elect to represent our needs and to make our Congress work. Many who are not black like me. Like the target on a sniper's gun sight, I could clearly see the wrongs of my life. Her name is Maria, the only woman who really loved me. Yet so defensive and jaded was I when I broke her heart, the heart that made me a man, that introduced me to love, that was proud to claim me as her man, that introduced me to the Latin lifestyle, salsa, arroz compollo, the heart that called me poppy and minted the heart I would meet every morning at 4.30 a.m., then escort her to her manager's job at the neighborhood McDonald's. Damn, all those free Big Macs. The tears she cried was more than I can stand. So instead of asking for forgiveness, I walked away thinking I was hard. Maria, I miss you so much. Blinded by my victories, I could not see my
0: scars. Impulse. Wow. Excellently executed, man.
2: Man, I like oh, that. thank you, man. Thank <laughs> I like you, that. man. Thank
0: you. Talk man. to me. <laughs> Talk to thank me you. about the title of the book, "Broken Book." Love given, love taken, love lost. Break that title down for me, please. Yeah,
2: the broken book. So it. All the characters in the book are broken by love, some in some kind of way, okay. whether it be the lack of love, the giving of love and not being appreciated, you know uh, that love that they say don't hurt, but it does hurt, the love mm-hmm. that kills. So I wanted to write that to, to like I said, continue with my life's path, um, path, and that is to heal the broken So I just knew that title would be uh, uh, befitting of it, the broken book. Because in this book you're going to hear of a lot of brokenness, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and um and there's not a book to make you sad. There's there's uplifting pieces in there. There's things like that. But in my life, because I'm speaking from my perspective, you know, love was given to me. Okay. Finally, in my twenties, people like Maria, you know, or the first girl that kissed me, um, mm-hmm. uh, and I accepted that love. I took that love, and in my 18 and the early 20s and 30s, I was the player, you know. So um, that love that was given, that I took, I lost. Mm-hmm. Even into my early into my early 50s, I still thought I was the player, the Mac. You know, I had the muscles, I had the good looks, the nice teeth, you know, the hair, and
1: mm-hmm.
2: um, and and like a, the story I told you earlier about my life path. That's what this book is. It's that love that was given to me, it was taken away from me. And then when it was given to me again, I lost it again, late mm. in life. Okay. And it, like I said, it drove me crazy. So I had to write about my craziness. I, I was walking the street like a homeless person. People was like, William, what's wrong with you? They would see me coming across the street. Because now you got to remember, at the time, I still was very muscular. I've always been an mm-hmm. athlete. And I was okay. dangerous. You know, I used to box. People were afraid of me.
0: All right. They would
2: cross the street and run away from me. And then when I got better, when I saw the light... I started to write about my story, and people started seeing the changes in me. And they love me again. To this day, they love me again. People don't run from me. They run up to me and hug me now, or they introduce me to their kids and their grandchildren. You know, I'm loved in my Mm -hmm. neighborhood again. You know, so, yeah. Yeah, man.
0: William, does it hurt you to write poetry? If not, why not?
2: It doesn't hurt. Talk to me. It heals. My hurt comes... My hurt is inert. It comes naturally okay. because I'm that kind of guy that um, I could very easily take advantage of women. But I, didn't right. have, I never had that in my soul to do. Even when I was out there being a player, it hurt me to do that. It hurt me to hurt a woman or break a woman's heart. It hurt me more than it hurt her, them. So, So when I write poetry now, it's because I need it. I need it it's my source of redemption even if it's not really redemption I believe it to be my redemption I I believe it to be my healing because I realized that all those childhood things that I went through none of them were, were physical abuse from my mother cuz of those beatings but I've never been mm-hmm. sexually abused none of that stuff but just the all abuse right. of being scorned laughed at you know I was poor ugly holes in my sneakers holes in my pants You know, I'm a twin brother, so we had to share clothes.
1: Oh,
0: okay.
2: So, yeah, so those things still stay with me today. And people say, why? Mm -hmm. Why does it bother you? They don't realize that once that pain, once that suffering is embedded into into your spirit, into your soul, it never really leaves you. It can come back Mm -hmm. at any time. And those times when I feel, they call it depression, but those times when my early childhood comes back at me and I sit here for hours in one spot staring at the TV or crying for no reason, the only way I can get out of it is to write, is to rhyme, is to read poetry. Sometimes I walk the street like, a, like I'm crazy and just, hey, let me read you this poem or let me recite this to you, you know, and it makes them happy, but it heals me. Mm. It heals, yeah. I can sleep that night, you know, and, uh, yeah.
0: You know, it's very powerful what you just said, and I agree 100%. It sounds like you've developed empathy in your life for others. Correct yeah. me if I'm wrong. So
2: Tell you me about correct. that.
0: Tell me about that. I want to know.
2: Yeah, the 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 old me, like I said, he was brash, uh, abusive, you know, uncaring. Mm-hmm. I didn't care about anybody else's feelings. I would mm-hmm. often say, and I, excuse me for saying this, but I would say, "Fuck, fuck them, fuck that."
0: All right. All right. Everything
2: that was with my creed. That's what I walked around saying. And it wasn't until. Later in life, and like I said, going through what I went through, and seeing other people for who they are, not who I thought they were, or, or that homeless person get out of here. No, I actually saw that that homeless person for the man, the 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 army uh, soldier, or the doctor that that man used to be, or that woman used to be, that mother, that that businesswoman who who she used to be. I see them now, not as the bum in the street. I finally I finally see them for. Who they were, and I listened to their stories. I'll sit out there and talk to a homeless person on a bench in a minute. People are like get away from that homeless person. I said, man, no, no, I want to hear what you guys are say And I developed that empathy, and it was like I said, it was healing for me, hearing them heal. And I know I was allowing them to heal by listening to their stories, mm-hmm. you know. So um, yeah, man, so- it's, it's, it's just great.
0: So what do you think it is specifically, my friend, that helps foster that sense of connection between you and your readers? Is it your being real? Is it your being, I guess, authentic is the same thing, say, saying real? What do you think it is, man, that brings you together with the people that read your work? What,
2: it, is the, it is the realness. It is mm-hmm. the realness because people see I'm not flashy. I don't have a car. I don't diamond rings. I don't have money. I live in a studio in Harlem, Spanish Harlem. All right. So when I get out there and I talk about it, they know that I'm talking from experience. I'm not, you know, shooting the breeze with them. I'm not being a hypocrite. Mm-hmm. You know, and um, I, I talk to them in that manner. And, and remember what I told you, preachers and pastors and reverends runs in my, the church runs in my family.
0: Yes, I didn't yes. grow up
2: in the church. I didn't grow up in the church. But that gift that God gave the men in my family, the gift to speak, speak his word or speak the word or... You know, uh, just get out there and, 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 and be that town, that city's jester. Remember back in the old Roman days, they had the court jesters? Yes. Uh, and that's what I can honestly say, the town barkers, that's what I can honestly say, honestly say that men in my family were blessed with. We had some of the most mm. prominent preachers and Baptist ministers in the South and then here in New York. You know, my only surviving uncle now, he's still, well, he retired, but he still does weddings and funerals. He's still... Uh, Preaches the Word, Mr. Joseph Washington, Reverend mm-hmm. Joseph Washington. So I've never been up to church. I couldn't tell you any scriptures or nothing like that, but I've always known God. I've all always right. been able to talk to God through my writings, through my pleas, and through my prayers. Mm-hmm. I don't even know the formal prayers that people do. Our Father mm-hmm. and all that. I don't know none of that. And I'm 64 okay. years of age. But mm-hmm. I know I, I can talk to God when I go into my private place. And I yes, know he I hears me. He saves me. You know, wow. and, um, So these people feel that And I know it is because too many people tell me that I try to stay humble, but they always say Man, you, you touched me, man You did something to me, man really. You know, sometimes when I perform Open, open, you know, open mics and speeches mic. around the country You mm-hmm. know, it's a crying session Sometimes, people just You know, if I'm not making them laugh, I'm making them cry
0: Alright you know, um, Well, yeah. can you share uh, Anecdote, a story about A particular poem's impact On someone's life was it one of your poems that stands uh, out, man? That you uh, you knew that it reached to something that someone heard it in a different way, in a deeper way.
2: Well, I, I would say um, my early poem one I I probably can't even remember it now, but it was titled Sorry. Nigger Is a Rock." Okay. And I spelled Nigger N-I-G-G-E-R. And um when I when I when I performed some of it, people was like, "Where is he going with this?" And um, uh, and when they heard the opening uh, stanza, or line, whatever you call these things, these poetic things,
0: mm-hmm.
2: it just it just took the people to a place, and I knew it while I was doing it that they they were they were entranced, you know, um, and especially people who've been through some things, you know, and um, you know, our black brothers and sisters related to this poem, and I didn't know the power of it. I think the beginning verse was, "I was bullied and teased as a child." Taunted because of my complexion so dark. Insecurities and nightmares shaded in black. So many nights I cried, I even had to gall to ask God why. In my dreams, I would go down by the riverside. This riverside made more wide by the tears I did cry. My riverside is now an ocean blue. I would go down to the shores and collect all the rocks. All except the black rocks. For like the nigger taunting the nigger teased, that black rock was just like me. This I said should never be. So I threw that rock into the sea. The rock would skip across the ocean waves like a surfer rise the mightiest of tides. With each skip, my insecurities. With each skip, my nightmares would subside. With each skip, nigga died. And um, so when I would go into that poem and, you know.
0: <laughs> like
2: you know, Would you, you say you that You ever D been a please? child and you put a like rock that. into the river Same and it's good? Yeah. <laughs>
0: I'm serious. Yes. I want you to say it again. Yes. <laughs> I really do. I really do. I want you to say it again. <laughs> no,
2: no, I'm not going to do the whole thing. No, nah. uh, okay. but I'll just say that. Okay. Skip number one, untie the noose from around that black man, that black slave's neck, and place a name on the unmarked grave, free man, free woman. Skip two, erase the ignorance that is slavery. And no, I didn't say was, because some of us are still slaves, niggas by any other name. Skip three and four, the greed that sent many black like me to the grave. A generation of gloom fills old smoking room. Skip five is the evil that lives within you and I, an evil that surely, 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 surely must die. Skip six is race, rape, race and rights, race exploitation coded in today's Republican rule. Our own children don't represent us with their sagging and bagging pants. They look more like the featured act that Ringling Brothers and Barnum berry Circus. Are you wrong or are you right? Are you peace or are you fight? Are you black or are you white? Let that last letter all be followed by an exclamation mark. You see that black rock, that noose around my neck, so tight it wouldn't allow the blood to flow to my brain, allowing you to call me nigger by any other name? That nigger lie must die, die. And it starts with I, I. So I let nigger go, and I let God be God. Now that black rock title nigger is who I used to be. Nigger is a rock I threw into the sea. And, yeah. Important, oh, okay. yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> well, we're going to take a brief break, but I've got a question Here's I'd like you to answer when we return. You know, as I'm listening yes. to you and the way that you phrase words, your inflection, the whole nine yards, what I'd like to know is, and you share this when we return, what is the relationship between your speaking voice and your written voice? All right? Okay. Yes, sir. We'll be right back. Yes, sir. I am Michael Anthony Ingram. I am here with William Washington. I asked you a question, William. What is the relationship between your speaking voice and your written voice?
2: Well, my speaking voice is William Washington. All right. My performance voice is Wawa Washington. That's W-A-H-W-A-H, two words. Wawa Washington, three words, actually. And um, the this, this speaking voice is the voice I've acquired through my education, even though I only have a GED, but I was I'm a, I consider myself a very learned person, a very learned right. man. And the cool. the 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 performing voice, that's the off Broadway part of me. When I first performed on off Broadway, uh, the director her name was Clark Clark, the second Clark has an E, but she um, directed Sisters Black Like Me, and that was my first opportunity to perform on an off-broadway stage. And she, was saying, she said, when I went to rehearsals and everything and uh, audition, she said, oh, man, I love your poetry and I love your voice, but it's the same. When you get on that stage, I don't need you to be the educated Mr. William Washington. She said, I need you to be that person that I hear underneath. And um, as soon as she said that, I, I didn't even let her finish. I went right into the poem that I had just did for, just auditioned for. And it was so different. It was... Um, It was, yeah, it was that church. It was the church that I had forgot about, that church inside of me. And um, ever since that day, I've been using that church, that voice, that inner preacher, that that street preacher, that gospel slayer, you know. um, And like I said, I don't know the words. I don't know the verse. I don't know the chapters of the Bible. But Mm -hmm. I can speak that talk. I can make people say amen. Mm -hmm. You know, um, so, yeah. And that's what it was. That's where I had developed that separation that you talk about. Yes. And... um, It was from that moment, uh, realizing that words have power. And if I'm going to say the words, I can't have acid. If I call myself a motivational speaker, I've got to be able to get on that stage and touch somebody's heart, move somebody. It don't have to be the whole audience. But if I can just get that one person to scream out, you know, amen or thank you or whatever, my job is done. Wow. You know, my job is done as a poet, as a preacher, as a, a wannabe preacher, I should say, but a poet or a motivational speaker. My job is done when I can touch that one person's heart, when I can make mm. them feel better, make them smile, or even make them cry. My job is done.
0: Well, we have a caller. Yes. I'd like to bring this person on. Area code 562. The first three numbers are 659. You're on the air with William Washington. Good evening. Hello.
2: I know who that is. That's um, <laughs> Darkman Blues, I believe. Right. That's yeah. Okay, okay, okay. I'm, I'm, here. I'm here. I'm here.
1: <laughs>
2: yeah. What's up,
1: brother? <laughs> you are killing it. I'm like, oh, oh. I was, I, I was like, I wanted to hear that poem again too. <laughs> it was so <laughs> dope. <dumb. laughs> Oh yeah, like, man. oh no, oh no! He turned it out right there. That is oh, one man, hell of a feature right there. Oh, <laughs> it, it it just resonated with me, and here I got a chance to hear it
2: again. I'm glad you did it again. Man, yeah. well, you know I did the first part for him, and then I did the second part. Yeah, for y'all guys, so.
1: Oh, it, 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 that was so cool. I mean, Thank I mean, uh, uh, I'm sitting here, I'm cooking dinner, and, and I'm listening to the show, and I'm like. Oh, this is a great show to be listening to while I'm cooking dinner. Amazing. <laughs> Thank you, man. Thank you. All man. right, all so, right. <laughs> I'm still excited. You know, when when they said 562, I said, oh, oh run to your phone because you got it on mute. You know?
2: Boy, you stupid, Sam. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> I don't
1: want to go every time him like, he got that from me.
2: <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Cut it out.
1: <laughs>
2: Do, you no, you friend,
1: I said, Do you have a question for your friend, man? Do
0: you have a question for your friend? I said he
1: was showing off. I said he was showing off. That's, that's all I can say. Yeah, yeah. Thank you,
0: man. <laughs> Do you have a question <laughs> for your friend? Yeah, yeah. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. You know, it, it, it's something that uh, William and I, we've been talking about it for a long time, and I know for a long time, William has never wanted to be a part of anything. I want to know what encouraged you to become a great beard of poetry. Mm. And why did you choose at this time in your career to be a part of something?
2: Well, okay. I know you're going to you're going to beg to disagree, but I was having a conversation with with you a, a year and a half ago or something like that. And I said, um, man, that's old poetry. so us old poets, we only get seven and a half minutes we don't get 15 minutes of fame we get seven and a half minutes I said man we need to be on that on that stage you know together doing that old stuff that old-school stuff uh, and then I then I laid down and when I got back up Samuel rain Benjamin was talking about the great beers of poetry I said this Negro did it
0: to me <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> you know what yeah but no I don't know if I started it or he started it now his version is that him and another guy was going to be on tour and they added me, that's his version. But my version is, I put that idea in his head, you know, so I I leave it alone. Whatever, whichever version people like it's it's not the version, it's not who started it, it's the product of uh, senior men getting out there on that stage, doing it. I mean, doing it, you know, showing these young people that poetry don't stop uh, because you reach middle age. That's when poetry Mm -hmm. gets better. Wow. You know? Exactly. Better serve. Better serve.
1: <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. And, and, and I would like to tell people, you're never too old to have a mentor. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. When
1: I first heard William was, like, in 2011 on Blog Talk Radio, this very <laughs> thing we're on right now. Mm-hmm. And I was amazed the first time I heard him. I'm like, I wish I could do that. I wish I could do that. uh His, his, uh, his technique, his flow, yeah. how he just, he come alive, you know, I'm like, you know, I, I, I'm a long way from that. And he just kept encouraging me to do the thing I did. He even encouraged me to write concert pieces. And I'm like, I'm never writing them. Yeah, I am. I write them, but, <laughs> but uh, no, um, outstanding. Uh, I, I love the poetry. I, I happen to have a copy of that book. Uh, people, uh, you should get that book. Uh, which Absolutely. book? Absolutely. The Broken Book. I also have a copy uh. of The Crown <laughs> oh. Fleet. I got both copies, y'all. So <laughs> get your copy. I got mine. It's one of William's favorite lines. I got mine. You better get yours. You that's right. That's right.
0: Yeah, <laughs> well, that's all right. Well, thank yeah. you. Thank you, Sam. Thank you. <laughs> all right, man. Nice hearing from you. Yes.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: All right, sir. <laughs> William, you,
2: you kn- please. You yeah. know that's not Sam's real voice, right? No. no, no. <laughs> she, she got one of those electronic things that make his voice sound deep you know. <laughs> She's like the, the zap band the zap he's band not here of all. Uh, of poaching, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Please share a poem. <laughs> Rocket to Mars. Slavery, servitude, segregation, inequality, racism. Economic, educational, and social unfairness are factors of African-American life, of black life, here on Earth. These are the chains that bind me since my birth. I came onto this Earth destined to never end up first, always wanting, always lacking, always needing, and never quenching my forefather's thirst. So I brought a ticket, and I'm boarding a rocket to Mars. It was then I noticed there were Ten of every species, race, color, and creed. Ten dogs and ten cats. Even ten asses and ten bats. Sorry, that's ten jackasses. Lord, there were ten gays mixed with ten straights. Ten people of hope and ten people of little faith. We are boarding this ark, this rocket to Mars, and we are leaving today. The captain said it will take light years to reach Mars, but for peace and inequality, you must travel far. During my trip up to Mars, I looked down. Economic, educational, and social slavery still did abound on earth. They were still dealing with racial discord. Help them, Father God. Help them, Lord. I asked God, when I get to Mars, when I, will I end up first? Will I quench my forefathers' thirst? God said, son, I didn't put you on earth to quench a thirst or to come in first. I put you on earth to simply run this race. I then did thank the Lord for his amazing grace. I'm on this rocket headed for Mars, a place with no laws, no jails, with no bars. There are no buses and no cars. There are 10 people of every species, race, color, and creed, 10 dogs and 10 cats, even 10 asses and 10 bats. Oh, and 10 gays mixed with 10 straight, Ten people of hope and ten people of little faith. So when I get to Mars, I'm going to call Earth and tell my brethren that I did not end up first, that I found an evenness in the number ten. I found racial, social, economic, educational equality, a place where no one loses and no one wins. Now, I know this trip will be long and far, but I'm staying on this rocket until I get my equality until I get the victory. Until I get to Mars. Hmm. In poem. All
0: right. Hmm. Poem. When you write, William... And... Okay, I'm sorry. Please, continue.
2: Can I just say that that piece yes. was not from the broken book. That's from the Nigger Chronicles, the okay. pronunciation of who I am. Yes.
0: Yeah, I was hoping you'd read some pieces from that book. I was going to ask oh, yeah, I'm you. I'm glad are. you did. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. when you write, who leads you? Or the poem? It's the poem. Who's in the driver's seat?
2: Who's in the driver's seat? It's the poem. Talk it's to the me. poem. It's the poem. Because when I write, I do the physical thing of picking up the pen and getting the paper. Mm-hmm. But it's the poem. It's the spirit that lives within that poem that drives me. So everything that I feel inside, that I'm experiencing, that's moving my soul, physically, I do the action of putting it down, writing it, or, or typing it into my phone. But it's those words, it's those spirits that's inside of me, that feeling that leads my pen and puts what I want to, what I'm feeling, it puts it on that paper. It puts it to paper. You know, it's like I could close my eyes and write a poem because when I open my eyes, that feeling will be on that paper, that inspiration, that, that pain, that sorrow, that love. So it's the poem that leads me to write.
0: Has a poem you've written... Ever humbled or frightened
2: you? Well, there was a poem, and I'm trying to remember the name of it. But um, mm-hmm. oh oh oh, it was one of my very first pieces. It was "Black Power." Talk to me. And it um, it was a powerful poem in my in my view, mm-hmm. because it was a a poem to motivate. But I realized shortly after that when from doing it. That was also a poem that steered up people's emotions, people's hatreds, uh, people's biases. Because in the poem, I might talking about uh, might be talking about a girl with tattoos on her body. I might be talking about a boy, you know, with his pants sagging. Uh, excuse me, or some some man or boy who came out of jail, you know, uh, you know, changed. You know, jail can change you. You might go in, uh, you know, straight, strong and you might come back out bent and weak. And all right. um, it touched of those things, and people started to rise up because we were going into the age of Me Too, of everybody coming out from their demons, from their uh, uh, coming out with their homosexuality, their mm-hmm. freedom. So people were mm-hmm. coming out with their freedom, and here I am writing a poem that can sound demeaning. It can sound like I'm criticizing their coming out. All right. and, um, so it frightened me, the fact that I was getting so much... Uh, from so- one circle, I was getting uh, positive uh, feelings for, and then on the next group of people, I was getting hatred and, and threats. You know, and all I was trying to do was inspire my people, because the name of the poem is Black Power. And okay. There's, there's, you know, and I, and it was my people who were giving me the threats. My people who may have did a bit in jail and didn't like what I used, or 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 a young lady who into the fashion of today with the tattoos and. Jeans hanging, and you can see the crack of their butts. You know, they took exception to that. So it was it was something that I was afraid to do for a while. You know, and mm-hmm. um, I've, I've done it, and um, um you know. But a matter of fact, I'm, I'm lost for words. Let me give you the first line. All right, sounds good. Yeah 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 yeah. Who out there talking about black power this day, this time, this hour? Who out there told my black power this day, this time, this hour when a black man, a black king cannot pay his bills? He is demeaned into watching as his black woman, his black queen goes out and pays the bills. She now wears his pants. He's reduced to being daddy daycare. And y'all know that shit ain't fair. Who out there told my black power this day, this time, this hour when our sons are sagging? Now some do it as a fashion statement, but some do it as a coded message promoting homosexual consent. This they learn while in prison with their asses up and their wrists bent. Who out there talking about black power this day, this time, this hour when our daughters are way out there? I say, who out there talking about black power this day, this time, this hour when our daughters are way out there? Tattoos, piercings, apple bottom jeans, all this before she is 16. By the time she is 18, she is the neighborhood horror. It seems like no one loves her anymore. Lord, Lord, Lord. Who out there talking about black power? We got to take our neighborhoods back. We got to start a ground attack. We got to remove all the liquor stores out of our hoods and replace them with stores that sell low-cost goods. And I'm not talking about weed spots or crack cocaine parlors. It's 2023, and crack is whack. Who out there talking about black power this day, this time, this hour? We got to fight the man. But we must be careful for his weapon of choice is the color green. And without that color green, there's no white power, no black power, no euro, no peso. And dig this. We don't mint the money. We don't print the money and we barely get to spare the money. Spend the money. So who out there talking about black power this day, this time this hour? Who out there talking about black power this day, this time this hour? Who out there talking about black power this day, this time, this hour? I am. You are. We are. Black power. Black power. Black power. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so yeah. yeah. So I, I wanted to inspire, but I got a lot of flack. I got a lot of threats, and, and people didn't want me to perform at their venues, doing things like that. No, it was a mess. I got blackballed for a while here yeah, well, in New York that, City.
0: Actually, that was going to be one of my questions, and the question is, have you ever faced challenges or criticisms for the way you approach certain sensitive topics in your poetry? And how, did you, navigate, how did you navigate how, – how do you navigate those challenges?
2: Well, here's the thing. Here's the thing. I had to realize, because when I first faced that backlash, Mm -hmm. I was humbled. I was uh, brought down a notch. I was afraid to do my poetry at certain places. Even the places that didn't blackball me, I was afraid to do pieces because I said, wait a minute. Man, there's too many white people sitting in this audience. I can't do that mm-hmm. one. Or there's too many Christian black women sitting here. I can't do that one. Mm-hmm. Or this is an erotic mic. I can't do that because I can get nasty when it goes to the erotic so I said I don't want to do it. I became a victim, a captive to my own poetry, to my own workings, my own things. I became a prisoner. But then I realized that to every side of the, there's two sides to every coin. So for the people who didn't want me saying this because of this or that. I had to realize there are people who needed me, needed me to say those things. All right. And I became selective. I I learned to study up before I go to an open mic. I learned to Mm -hmm. ask questions like, well, what kind of, is this a clean mic? Just like I asked you, is this a clean mic or this, can I say this? And then that brought back my power because when I started going to places that accepted my type of poetry and spoken word, I was reborn. I was saved. And um, I've been saved since because now I've got the power to, even change the minds of those who persecute me I turn my enemies into my friends now with my poetry and spoken word mm-hmm. you know um, you know so yeah
0: so what advice then would you give someone who's brand-new attempting to find his or her way out there in terms of the poetry world and connect with readers and go to open mics and do these different things what would you tell them to do to to be self-aware enough to be able to do what they do if that makes Well,
2: sense? first you have to be studious First, okay. you have to study. You have to study. And this may sound demeaning what I'm about to say, but you have to know how to read. Mm. If you're going to Tell be a poet, you have to know how to read and how to write. So before you do that, you, you know, sharpen up your reading skills. There's drills. Even if you say the alphabet over and over again, there's ways to practice your pronunciation and your sil- syllabization of words. Start on the ground level, you know. Take yourself to school, get a thesaurus, get a dictionary, you know, and learn the pronunciation of these words, how to say it. And then the easy part is actually now performing and writing those things. Once you learn how to open your mouth and speak properly, you ain't got to sound like no educator. But if you learn how to, I can't say that word with my false teeth in my mouth, syllableize and pronunciate and enunciate. Now, singers enunciate. We pronunciate. But as a poet, you still have to know how to enunciate, you know, how to bring that one sentence to the next sentence. So even when the I say, yeah, 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 who out there? I got I to gotta know when to say, who out there talking about black power this day, this time, this hour? I got to know how to flow it. So as a poet, an early poet, I would tell you, don't be afraid and don't be intimidated when you go to these open mics and you see these upper-level poets. Do not get intimidated. You have to remember that your word, is your word. Your writing style is your writing style. And there's different people who will like your words, like, like, like what you put down. You don't have to be this great orator. You don't have to be Talamacy or Samuel Rain or, or uh, Sir Lawrence. You can be yourself and, and, and build upon yourself. So you can't be afraid. You have to study. You have to read. You have to write. And you cannot be afraid. When you go on these open mics, you're going to fail. I always tell people that you're gonna fail the first time. I failed the first time I got to open my. I was shaking so bad, the paper was sweating, I was sweating. It looked like I pissed on myself. Mm-hmm. But when I left there, I fell down at first. But by the time I got home, I said, "Wait a minute, let me listen to this." And I wasn't that bad. Yeah, the paper was shaking, and yeah, my voice was quivering, but my message actually got across. And and this when I realized that poetry. There's no medals and bars you win. You win, I mean, material things. But it's a universal language. So even a beginner can get up there and touch somebody with their words. If you get up there and say roses are red, violets are blue, it's the way you say it. It's not what you're saying. So that's you know, what I tell people. Find your, find, no. I'm sorry, but find your, find your niche. Find your identity and build that up. Don't try to be somebody else. So I'm sorry. That's what I was trying to say, and I, I know I went about it the long way, but <laughs> be yourself. No, you that's fine. As as can. That's fine. Yeah.
0: I, I guess I thought you were going to say that you need to develop a thick skin.
2: Well, well that's what I meant when I said they get intimidated the first time because you're going to yeah. fail. Mm-hmm. But you have to realize that's part of the process. Because once you fail, you go back on that open mic and do that same poem, and I guarantee you, you're going to ace it.
0: Mm. I guess I was thinking more about if the poem is controversial.
2: If you've got well, and, and, and that too, if you have a controversial poem. As a poet, as a spoken word artist, as a motivation speaker, I wouldn't be William Washington without a controversial poem. Okay. I wouldn't be William Washington without a poem that I may cuss in a, a little now and then. But i got to mm-hmm. know where to do that, but I cuss like a sailor. Mm-hmm. But I cuss constructively. I don't cuss just to be cussing.
0: To if be cussing. I
2: say the f bomb in a poem, if I say fuck in a poem, it's not saying as in the, the the meaning or derogative way. It's saying in frustration or fuck that feeling that you get. Sometimes you can't say damn. You can't you can't cry using clean words. Sometimes you just got to say it. Fuck. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's and that's what I do. I do and, and yeah, I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid to do it. I'm not afraid of the backlash, because the backlash makes you famous. Check this out. Mm-hmm. If, you wasn't get, if I wasn't getting backlash and people talking about me in a bad way, nobody would know who William Washington is. But it got to the point where everybody in New York, Philly, and Connecticut, the tri-state area, they all knew who William Washington is and was through a negative connotation, but they still had my name in their mouth. All right. So when I performed at these cities, people actually came out. To hear my controversy, to, to hear, come out, oh, I'm a dog, man. We gonna, don't clap for nothing, he say. But they actually paid tickets to get there to do that. And like I said, I turn people around all the time. So if they come to hate me, they're going to leave loving me. Mm-hmm. You know, so uh, that's so how I look you,
0: at. It. I understand. I understand. You know, I think throughout the course of the evening so far, we've been talking about just the ups and downs in life, the ins the and outs of life, and... There's so much happening in this world, man. And as I shared with with Samuel before, that there's the good, the bad, the ugly, as well as the indifferent. Based on your lived experience, in terms of what you've been through, what is the role of a poet in modern-day society?
2: The the role of a poet, that's a great question, too. The role of a poet has not changed for hundreds of years from that uh, court jester, all right to the to the town uh you know when they had those um picnics in the south or when they want to hang a, a, a black person they would always get that court just out there that walker come on y'all come on out here and watch this nigga get what he deserved you know and and that's not i'm not saying that's poetry but that was their poetry in that, in that angry way that turnout, that person who could get out there uh even at an auction oh i said 252 53 blah that's poetry that's not a person standing and say, well, 200, this person sold it for 300, oh, this person put four No, they got to put rhythm to it. Ah, 200, 500. That's poetry. That's spoken word. You know. And so now through the ages, even through our president, our first black African-American president, Obama. Obama is a poet. Obama can write. He has speech writers, yes, but he is poetic. He can write poem, poetry. If you're in the D.C. area, the DMV area, Obama, President Obama will walk into any busboys and poets at any given time and sit down and have a vegan meal and listen to poetry. You never know when you're at those busboys and poets who might walk in. Bill Clinton, Obama, you know, most of the people are uh, Democratic uh, leaning, mm-hmm. but they really love the arts. You know, so that Barker, that town person, that poetry has not changed even from today. That spoken word. We are the voice of the people. Uh, we are the voice of the revolution. We are the voice of the downtrodden. We are the voice of the victorious. We are the voice of those who cannot speak or who are afraid to speak. If it wasn't for poets, we would not have a history, a legacy, because it's the poet that wrote, wrote those stories about Africans on them boats. Those who are poets, those Africans that etched their names in the, and they carved their names into the boats you know, in their own language talking about their, 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 their trials and going across that ocean and being thrown aboard, overboard overboard and things that hurt so bad, but it's so poetic and, and the factuality of it. We would not know our people if we didn't hear those writings or read those writings or hear those tales from our great-grandfathers and grandmothers about the pain, about the suffering, about the picking up cotton, about the escaping, about being free, about getting... Equality and be able to drink from a, a wife-only faucet. And, and those are poets that wrote those stories and told those stories. Not just ministers. Well, most ministers are poets. They write. Mm-hmm. Those reverends, they write. That the power of the pen is our greatest weapon as poets and people of knowledge. That is why they are trying so hard to take, you know, uh, black history out of our libraries and God out of our schools. For that reason only. It's our power. It's a weapon. And um, they can hang us, they can shoot us, but no weapon formed against us shall prosper because we always will have the power to leave our legacy in some kind of coded way, whether it be a marking on the tree, whether it be a song, whether it be, you know, uh, oh, man, listen, listen, oh, man, Billie Holiday, what was that song? Now, she didn't, she didn't write that fruit. song. It was it right. was Abel, Abel Meredith, I believe her name was something like that. It was a Jewish man. Mm-hmm. Abel something I'm, I'm, yeah, I'll look it up but you can look that up But it was a Jewish white American male that wrote that song And mm-hmm. it's a haunting song But it's a song that invigorates and, and and gives you hope even though it's so tragic
0: Well let me you ask know? this question then Because we know about the ills in society We see them every day Are we required to write about them?
2: We are required to write about them. But we How are and more,
0: why? Why? Tell we me we are why. more required are re- to
2: write. talk to me. No, I'm sorry, yeah. Go ahead.
0: No, I'm just wanna know why. Why are we required no. to write about them?
2: We we have first of all we have to immoralize those stories. So because you know, word of mouth changes. Yes. Somebody could say something happened one way and by the time it gets to the next city it happened a whole total different way. Because mm-hmm. it changes. But they can never change the writing, the true writings. So we can, we can change a story. Like I used to tell people, uh, I scored 45 points once, and I really only scored 38. All right. But by the next day, they were talking about William Washington had 50 points over there. You know, I used to be a star basketball player. But the writing, the scorebook actually said I only had 38 points. And I notice I'm not trying to equate that with, with you know, our legacy, our history, but it's the writing. We must be the ones who write and tell the story because the happenings are happening against us. You know, I don't want to Every, be everybody you know, or just a Everybody No, not everybody. Not everybody, okay. because remember this. Everybody can't write.
0: Okay.
2: Everybody cannot express those things. And it's not that they're dumb or, or not uh, educated enough. It's that history hurts, especially yeah. black history. Mm-hmm. Black history is a hurting thing. So it takes a special kind of man or woman to be able to put it on paper, to, to make it historic.
0: What if I just want to write about the rocks and the trees and the flowers?
2: And But that, but that's fine. That's poetry. Okay. That's poetry. That's beautiful poetry. But I guarantee you when you write about that rock, mm-hmm. that rock may be a hundred, hundred, a 1, thousand years old. Okay. So that rock has a history. So who's going to write the history about that rock and that flower? It's that special person. Why, you just write about a rock and a flower, generally – there's the same person that's going to take your writing and write, write about the history of that rock or the evolution of that flower and that's the poet that's mm. what separates a man a writer from a poet a poet has a foresight that normal be a superpower a foresight that normal people just don't have okay my brother can't write poetry at all and that's my twin brother I'm a minute older than him he can't write poetry <laughs> he can't preach like I can preach mm-hmm. but he can fix anything that needs to be fixed He's excellent vocationally, but I was the one that was born with the voice, the, right. the artistic strength. But my brother <laughs> was strong and had hands like a bear. And we twins. And one of his fingers is three of mine. You dig what I'm saying? <laughs> so he's a mighty powerful man in his own right. And I'm powerful in the fact of my words.
0: Please, Sheriff. So, oh,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> old, old rugged cross. <laughs> On a hill far away stood an old rugby cross. That cherished cross, wait a minute, excuse me, let me start again because my glasses fell off. Sorry, y'all. On a hill far away stood an old rugged cross. That cherished cross represents life given after life was lost. God gave his only begotten son so that we may see the moon glow and the shine of the sun, so that we may breathe, eat, drink, and love as one. Now as I watched the wars being fought, oceans of Life lost with hurricanes, earthquakes, and tornadoes being the blame. People revolting in the streets, bleeding from head to feet. Africans starving to death in their own land, the motherland stripped of all its jewels. No water, no wheat. Children dying from hunger and the political heat. Yet on a hill far away stood an old rugged cross. Where is is the head that wears the crown? Obama, Obama, the troubles of the world are wearing him down. Where is is the head that wears the crown. One day, I want to feed the hungry. I want to stop the wars, bring peace to the streets, refurbish the motherland, return Africa to the Africans, clean the blood from its stones, leave the motherland and its wonders alone. Until then, I'm going to cling to that old rugged cross, and I'll exchange it one day for my crown. I'll exchange it one day to get my, my crown, and boom. Wow. (laughs)
0: We're going to take a brief break, but I want you to answer this question when we return. Do you view your ability to write poetry as being a creative gift or creative art? We'll be right back. We are back. I am Michael Anthony Ingram. I am here with William Washington. He's sharing his work, favoring us with his work. So, William, do you view your, your ability to write poetry as being a creative gift or creative art?
2: Now, when I answer that question, I can only answer for me.
0: Okay. So okay.
2: I, I, I feel that it's a creative gift. Okay. And the reason, the reason I say that, because when I say creative art, I think of the end product I think of what you see after what I say I think of what you see after what I paint I think of what you see after after I sing but the gift is the motor is the engine is the fuel is the source of what you see what you hear what you think what you witness so the art and that's art what you see here and witness It's the art. But the gift is that being able to write, to create those images, to create that art. And everybody does not have that. You know, so, you know, yeah, that's it. All right.
0: (laughs) You know, I was thinking Trump probably needs to hire you, man, to uh, be his assassin. Listen,
2: Trump (laughs) hired me. I'll be the one to assassinate you. He better not hire me. He better not.
0: (laughs) If he had you, he wouldn't get convicted. <laughs> no, he had me. Yeah, that he'd be. Beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Let me, me, man, let me man, be man, quiet because the
2: government be cool. might be listening. Let me be quiet. Right. <laughs> Shit. See, I, yeah. <laughs> I might rob his nice. ass. I might, I, like the black man he's afraid of, I, that would be me because I would rob his ass.
0: That was nice. Yeah. <laughs> you know. I'll hide his wig. I'll hide his wig. He'd be going crazy. Where's my toupee? <laughs> That I'll was a nice, a nice way to, to phrase that, man. That was very nice. Yeah. Very, very nice. Yeah. You know, yeah. we've reached, you, man. <laughs> I'm going to have to invite you back for part two. But we, right uh, now, though, we've reached, we've reached my favorite part of the program, which I view as being a mini poetry concert. This is an opportunity for you to say three or four of your poems back to back. No interruptions from me. William, you're on the stage
2: she is jazz she is as beautiful as a sunny day in june she makes me bebop my bebop my bebop swoon more beautiful than a miles davis tune so what so what so what she does not belong to me to me she is the very best of jazz when she walks she scats jazz the way she shakes that ass she is jazz Billie Holiday, Billie Holiday went away. But I still hear what she says in jazz. Miles Davis, John Coltrane, Charles Mingus, Charles Mingus, Ella, Ella Fitzgerald, she is so beautiful. What am I to do when it's January, not June? I'm feeling kind of blue. Hide me in a sanctuary from this bitch's brew. The beautiful you. Hey, maybe I'll stow away on the Coltrane's Blue train Girl, you walk like a tune Played in Joe Pass jazz When you shake that ass Scat Ella, scat Ella Oh, scat Ella Yo, Charles Mingus She got me moaning Ah, um. goodbye, pork pie, hat She is as beautiful As a sunny day in June She makes my bebop, my bebop, my bebop swoon More beautiful than a Miles Davis tune She is jazz She is jazz. She is jazz. Nikki said, she said, Nikki Giovanni told her she could be title queen. Nikki told her that her ego could take her to faraway lands, that great deeds can arise from within she. Yes, they can. But she believed Nikki was speaking to a generation past, that new poetry is wrapped and never read, that all that shit Nikki speaks of is dead. Nikki told her, I was born in the Congo. I designed the pyramid. I sat on the throne. My eldest daughter is Nefertiti. My son Noah built the ark. Nikki Giovanni told her that I turned myself into myself and was Jesus. But she told Nikki Giovanni, I was born in the hood. I am graffiti painted on Project Poverty's walls. I sit on pregnancy and despair. My oldest daughter is Peaches, mother of four, and she's only 17 years old. My only son sells an art titled AIDS since his birth 12 years ago. And his name? Dewan. She still has dreams to pursue, a model dancer and rapper too. So she poses nude and dancing erotic. On a metal pole. She poses June and dances on an erratic poem. Pole, oh yes. The dudes in the hood say she's a great rapper, especially the way she makes her booty clapper, truth be told. Nikki told her, when I did ego tripping, I believed that I can fly like a bird in the sky. She recalled tripping on acid and having a group sex with some guys. She believed the group consisted of about five. She told Nikki Giovanni, You get high your way, because I'm going to get high mine. Nikki Giovanni told her about the revolution. Nikki Giovanni told her to find herself a hero, and to think big, and to follow her hero's path. For a rainbow lies ahead. She screamed, To hell with my heroes! My father raped me! Foxy Brown is whack! And Tupac is dead. Nikki Giovanni told her, My sister, my sister, my sister. If you only live right, Awaiting you is a pot of gold. She screamed, Fuck Nikki Giovanni! I'd rather be a hoe. I want to tell everyone here tonight how grateful I am. And I'll try to leave you with something a little more um, forthright, something for a woman. I firmly believe as a black man that God be a woman. And her eyes are matching suns. Her lips the womb I came from. Her skin darkness before God let there be light. Her teeth ivory keys so amazingly white. Her smile resembles the parting of the sea. Her breasts 44 double D. Her hands so soft, yet strong enough to mold in earth. Her tears brag organic apple cider vinegar with the mother pasteurized, for she grows more beautiful after giving birth. Oh, she's a real mother for you. But her hair, her hair be the family's tree, for every leaf, branch, twig, bark, root identifies a member of her extended family. But when she walks, Oh, Lord, when she walks, earthquakes are born. The earth dancing and shaking to a heavenly choirs playing of jazz. Written and composed by the late great Joe Paz. I swear black women in Venice shaking ass. But her feet, her feet be the most unattractive part of her anatomy. For they depict over 400 years of slavery, racism, bigotry, and inequality. But I am honored to rub a black woman's feet over and over and over again. What does a black woman look like to me? She looks like God. She looks like love. She looks like you. I'm William Wawa Washington, Ashe. Thank you. Thank you.
1: <laughs> wow. <laughs>
2: We're hey, we're look. hey, look! I I, I gotta ap- apologize for the Nikki Giovanni poem I was wow. reading, it, and my damn partial almost flew out my mouth. <laughs> so I had to try to play catch. I'm,
1: I'm,
2: I'm in the middle You're of some dental so work
1: right
0: now. That, <laughs> no, no, that's all
2: right. They know me. I keep it real.
1: I'm
2: in the I'm in the middle of some major dental work, so I got a partial here until I get my real teeth. My, so I was getting into the poem, and that damn thing flew out. Uh, I said, "Oh Lord."
0: <laughs> do, you, do you think you were meant to be a poet, man? Yeah You're Destined to be a poet? Tell us why
2: Yeah, either that or a preacher But okay, I, I I was meant to be a poet Because to be so young And to have those that foresight And that dream, that desire to write And it came from nowhere mm-hmm. Like I said, I, I was always depressed when I was young I didn't know it you know, dealing with epilepsy, you know, you become an outcast. You okay. know, you can't hang with your friends. You're all nobody wants to hang with you. They they're afraid to hang with you. You might get sick and start shaking all over the place. So when this power came to me, I, I always remember. It, it's like the sun came out, but my room was dark, pitch dark. It was nighttime, but the sun came out, and I and I I realized write, right to write. Something just said keep writing, keep healing, keep writing. You may not be the guy that can go to parties and dance because my mother wouldn't let me, and I was always getting sick. You may not be the great player, but you can write better than anybody that you know. And Mm. and, and that's how it's been for since today. today,
0: what, what, What surprises you most about being a poet?
2: The effect that it has on people. Okay. Honestly, that's right. The effect that it has on people, and that the way that the people see me. Now I'm just a normal person. I'm five foot eight, two hundred pounds, something like that, one ninety. But people see me as six foot five. That's what, I pound That's what I because thought. To be when honest, they, when, when, right? That's when when they you. meet me in person, they say, "Where's your brother?" I said, "What brother?" They told about William Washington. I said, "I'm William Washington." They said, you was, "One," lady told me in my face. She said, "You was a liar." William Washington, is six foot five, and he's
0: handsome.
2: I said, "Ma'am, I'm sorry to disappoint you. I'm William Washington."
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: This happened in Albany. I was performing in Albany. And a Facebook friend of mine that lived out there said she's gonna be at the show and I said, Fine, oh yeah, I got a ticket to come in and everything mm-hmm. And um so she looking around and I was the only one sitting there the time before the show, you know, studying my poetry and stuff. She said, Can you tell me where can I find William Washington? I said I'm William Washington, and she went off on me. You ain't no damn William Washington. Uh, uh-uh, uh. My William, my my William Washington is over six feet, you know? and <laughs> all. I said, well, wop, wop, womp to you, because I'm William Washington. <laughs> you know, so that amazes me about poetry, the the the, the power that it bestows upon you. You know, mm. it, it gives you like this this badge, of, this cape, this S on your chest, and you didn't ask for it. But it's given to you by your followers, by your listeners, by the people who love what you say and do. You know, they they crown you their king, their superhero.
0: So, so now I am now
2: your... a sixty-four-year-old a superhero.
0: All right, you know, and I, I carry eight. myself like
2: that.
0: <laughs> I like that. So, with your work, are you attempting to reach a broad range of readers, or are you targeting a specific audience? Uh,
2: I used to want to reset broad um, scope of uh, listeners mm-hmm. and I do that just in general but right. now for the last 10 years I've been specifically targeting women black women because for a long time I didn't care or target for black women you know I had those right. those issues mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. when I realized that those black women were not my enemy they were my friends they were the ones who was gonna love me and come out to see me perform and I opened my eyes one day on stage, and I saw nothing but black women. That, And this is a true story. I was standing on stage, and I saw a bunch of black women. I was at the National Black Theater in Harlem on off-Broadway stage. And I realized for the first time, those are black women that's cheering for me, that ran to me after the intermission trying to buy my books. All black women, black and brown women. And from that day forth, to this day, I target black women. Mm. with my writing. Mm. I dedicate everything I do to that black woman.
0: Wow.
2: You know, you know
0: what, what do you think yeah. in a nutshell, briefly, that you learned about yourself from writing these two books? Who are you as a consequence of writing these books? The first one in 2012 and the second one in 2022.
2: Well the, first, well, the first question, I learned that I can love And that it's all right to love. And that love will not hurt me. I learned that. And then as a consequence of writing this book, like I said, I became something that is above that average Joe. I'm no longer an average Joe. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: I carry a great responsibility with me when I leave my house every day. Because I know people are watching me. Everything I put on Facebook and Instagram, I have a great responsibility to make sure I inspire and not beat people up. Not bring people down. If I'm sick, I had COVID three times during that period of COVID. And even through those times, I was still hosting shows. I was still writing poetry. I was still trying to make people feel better while I was sick. Mm-hmm. When I had my prostate issues, my prostate disease, I don't talk about it. I don't give cancer that power. But I remain steadfast in the fact that my objective was to heal and make people feel better. Never let them see me cry. I never mm-hmm. let anybody see me sweat. Or see me in need only my closest people can see me in need but my thing is to to honor that cake that these people bestowed upon me to honor this crown that they put on my head every day even when I think people are not watching I have to be that guy I have to be that king that they call me Mm -hmm. and I can be I can be my weak self at times I can there's times when I can cry I can let down my guards I can be humble I can be needy but in general I know this is who I have to be. I have to be that superhero, that poetic superhero for my people. All
0: right. As I said at the fun. very beginning of the program, that your books are available on Amazon. So my very last question, my friend is what's next for you? Where do you go from here?
2: Creatively. Well, well, creatively I'm toying with the great bits of poetry. Um, um, prose and spoken word, mature prose and spoken word. So that's opened up a new door for me in my poetic life because i had i've traveled poetically solo i've never been part of a team a uh, touring group and um last year we did that with Samuel Rain, benjamin dartmouth blues uh mr james mr speaker sears mr james sears uh sir lawrence you know um james um Oh, okay. I, I got yeah, 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 yeah. Thank he'll you. Be, you know
0: he'll be will be mean. here next week. will be here next week. Yes,
2: he'll be here. He'll be your feature next week. But we mm-hmm. went on tour, and there was such a uh, opening. It was like like a rainbow just came up to see women and men of our age, uh, reliving our past while we're we're giving them our past, our loves, and they were living it while they're sitting there listening to us. They, mm-hmm, I remember that. Uh, <laughs> James, um, James can tell you, and. um that I was performing at the Broken Tea with the Greybeards. And I, I said a line, and, and as you can see now, I get brain locked sometimes, you know, my memory and Sorry. everything. But I said a line, I said, your body's here with me. And before I could say the next line, the whole room sang, but your mind is on the other side of town. You know, that O.J. <laughs> song. And um, it just brought so much joy to my heart and to everybody in the room. So, this is my new thing now. This is traveling and learning how I have to learn how to share. Mm-hmm. I can't be the, the headliner all the time. Yes. So with the gray beard poetry, I was actually the first one on stage. Now, poetically, you know this for a fact. You're a great poet. You know, most times the first person is the weakest person, you know, mm-hmm. and they, they build up from there to the headliner. Right. But with the gray beards, it gave me the humility to say, look, I'll go up first. I'll go up first. And, and, and just to be able to be humble and sacrifice meant the world to me because my girlfriend was proud of me. She said, I'm proud of you, Papi. You know, she's Spanish. She said, I'm, I'm proud of you, Papi. You know, because she knows how arrogant I can be. You know, poets, we're very arrogant at times. Yes. When we, especially yes. when we know we put it down. We could be very arrogant. So she was so proud of me. And I was proud of myself traveling with those three gentlemen and seeing the effect we had on, the I say, the world. Because... Forget the four cities we went to. It was the world watching us on YouTube, on Instagram. And so many people that's sitting there rocking chairs now, only 50 years old thinking their life is over. When they seen these four mature men with gray beards or gray, I got to go to you. I don't even have a full beard. But when they mm-hmm. saw us on stage doing that thing, just as good as any young people could do it, they got a lot of people out of their house, out of that chair, off that couch and wanting to write and wanting to be a poet or wanting to sing in church or wanting to do something because it's never too late. And that's right. where I'm headed now, to places where I can show that it's never too late. And places, wow. and even the young people, we went to Tennessee and that was a younger crowd. And we had them standing and clapping the whole time we were there. When we walked into the room, those young people were sitting there with their mouth open. Those are the great kids. Those are the great beers. That's what you heard. And um, it's just an empowering feeling. And it's like, uh, it's icing on the cake even though i have a long way to go i i mm-hmm. believe god is not through with me yet but that yeah. was icing on the cake that i could have said okay i quit right now and i would have mm-hmm. been happy wow you know, so yeah
0: well, I have yeah, thoroughly... the workout, man.
2: I'm sitting there sweating like a Negro slave. I forgot to turn the fan on. Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Well, Brady... <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry.
0: You came with your A game, and so
2: did I. Thank you, man. Thank you. And I apologize. Hey, my, really? people, my people stay in my mouth when I perform in Virginia on the 21st. Of uh, this month. I'll be in Virginia. Oh, right. um, Yeah, so <laughs> it's on my page. I can't remember the name of the place, but it's on my page.
0: All right, you know. Well, Thank hey, you, sir. Well, you're a phenomenal Thank poet, so and much. I wish you nothing but the best. And I think what I'd like to do, if if the Greybeards are willing, I'd like to invite all of you on for an evening. I, hey,
2: I'd like to. know we you know we was waiting for you to say it. You know, come on, man. I told you that when Sam featured, I was like, you know, uh, we are a part of a great. <laughs>
0: yeah, I did tell you that, didn't I? I you no, know
2: now <laughs> it ain't just Sam. Now, come on now.
0: <laughs> Maybe doing the, uh, the 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 winter months have you a holiday yes. treat for the three of you? Yes, it was. It's just three, right?
2: Oh, it's yeah, it's four, four of us. It's four of us. It's so always four of us. Yeah. Actually, there's five, but one of them, we're working on his schedule because he has a 16-year-old okay. daughter, so can't leave her home. He's going right. to come back a granddaddy, you know. Uh-huh. <laughs>
0: so we're working I want all on of that. you to come back. I want everybody That's to come right.
2: back. Can I just say this, please, sir? Please, let me yes. just say this. I, I want to thank you for not just having me on this show and having the great biz on the show, but I want to thank you for what you do for the poetry world, the world of literature. I mean, you may not think it's a big thing, but so, so many people talk about your show. When I first heard your show, I was amazed and not just this format, but by the questions you asked, the piercing questions that you asked Sam. I said, I want some of that shit. I wanted that challenge. And, I, I mean, and you may not think your, your, your work maybe you think it's in vain, but it's not. You are inspiring a nation of uh, potential writers, poets, speakers, because we have to be put to a test to know if we can stand the heat. Right. And I appreciate what you do, my brother. And you do it in such a good way. You can ask a piercing question, and I would never say, oh, he tried to get a, a gotcha question. No. no I would I say know. that question made me better because mm-hmm. it made me answer it better. It made me mm-hmm. think. Well, it made me you. dig into my soul to be able to answer that. And I so thank you for that.
0: Well, you, you know, know, after almost almost 400 <laughs> shows, man, I'm kind of running out of steam, Ooh, to be quite
2: honest. Man. Uh, oh, man, you're good. You, <laughs> you need an award. I don't know. Did you get an award because you need one?
0: No. But uh, <laughs> we
2: can talk about it all you sound family. like Little Richard. Ain't nobody. Ain't nobody. Ain't nobody give me no award. <laughs> no, 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 I've never received an award. But <laughs> no, no. ain't nobody give me no damn award. No, no, no. no, no, no. But,
1: uh... <laughs> Being out here with my people—that's
0: <laughs> all I need. But <laughs> and on but you're that note, going to hell. <laughs> probably, probably, probably for more than one reason. But I want to thank you.
2: Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Thank you, you too,
0: man. Ninety seconds left. Thank you, and to the listening audience, as I share with you every single time we're together. Let poetry ring somewhere throughout the land. Good night, William Amen
2: Amen. Good night, my brother. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye.
1: Quintessential Listening Poetry Online Radio is available on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. You can also check out the website at QLPOR.com.